So let me start by saying a couple months ago, went to my doctor, got a new doctor, uh, and she's, you know, I've got, I've got uh, diabetes, uh, type 2, and so I hadn't made a lot of progress from the last time I was there to that time. And so she looks at me, she goes, I'm going to be tough on you because I think you can do it. And next thing I know, she's giving me a list of things that she wants me to do. And one of them is so many steps a day. So I'm like, I, I can do that. I went out and bought a, a Samsung watch and, you know, it tracks my steps. So I, I feel like I've got a blessing today. You guys are going to sit still and I'm a pacer. I figure I can get 2,000 steps in while preaching this message. I'm already over 6,000 steps today. Come on. There's something about a goal. It, it motivates me. I, I am a goal-oriented person. I love goals. Um, we fall short of goals. Uh, there's days we don't hit our goals, but if I've got a goal, I've got something to go after. And uh, you know the Father has a goal for you? It's that you become more and more like his son, Jesus. That is the process of sanctification. So we're finishing the uh, book of 1 Thessalonians. I don't know about you, but I, I love when we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible. There's topical preaching. I like that. I, I've done it. But there's this it's called expository preaching, where you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. The reason I love it, there's a couple reasons. Number one, everything must be interpreted in context to the previous statements, and it helps keeps, uh, keep, keep us uh, in the context of the passage, where we're not pulling things out, uh, and it keeps us in the flow. But it also forces us to cover some uncomfortable topics, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor uh, Dwight preached on the, the return of Christ. And he, and he said in there that he, he, he doesn't preach on it often because there's a lot of different views on the second coming. Yet when we go through it, it forces us to hit on it. That's a huge, very important subject. Uh, it's going to be in the message today a little bit. Uh, and it also uh, just causes us to hit on some of those verses that cause controversy. So today we're in the last uh, six verses of 1 Thessalonians, uh, the fifth chapter, starting at the 23rd verse. And in that, it's going to start with a prayer. Paul, throughout the book of Thessalonians, has been praying for the church of Thessalonica. He starts in chapter 1, and he's, and he's thanking God and praying for them because, uh, thanking God for how they receive the message, that they turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And in chapter 2, he's thanking them that when they receive the word, they receive the word as it was a word from God, not human words. He prays for them in chapter 3 that their hearts might be strengthened, that they would uh, love one another. And then we see here in chapter 5, verse 23, he's praying again. Let's go ahead and read the six verses for today. 
May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We're going to spend a lot of time focusing on verse 23 and 24. We'll go through all the verses. I don't have slides. I don't have notes. I would encourage you to take out a pen and a piece of paper uh, because I'm going to more teach than preach. I'm going to put, uh, there's going to be a lot of information. I'm going to quote a lot of scriptures. Uh, write them down, check them out. Uh, I, I believe that you'll be blessed. So when Paul went to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, he spent a very short period of time there because uh, he went, preached, people responded, some Jews, but a lot of Greeks. And then persecution broke out and it really drove him out of the city and he moved on. So he was there probably around a month to anywhere to like three months. So here you've got these new converts to Christianity, to the way, to the, the truth, and a lot of them came from a pagan background. You know, think about, you know when I think about a pagan background, uh, it's a culture uh, that doesn't lead you to the natural things that God de desires. When you think of America today, how many people have not grown up in church? I, I've got, a, I got an employee that came to me. I don't know that he's ever been in a church, maybe for a wedding. Uh, his view of what marriage, relationships, sexual purity, on and on, have no, have no consistency, no comprehension of what God desires. Culture does not lead us closer to Christ. And culture greatly influences everyone. So Paul's concerned you know, about the church. He's praying for the church. He sends Timothy to check in on them, and Timothy comes back with a good report of how they are continuing to follow the Lord and follow Paul's example. So the first couple chapters is about, hey, my visit to you, how you responded, I'm praying for you, thankful for you. And then we get to chapter four, and it says, let me go back and, and just go ahead, let's take a look at it. Chapter four, verse one, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God. He said, these following stuff, this is how you please God. As in fact, you're now living. And we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, verse, uh, verse three. It's God's will that you be, should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own bodies in a way that is holy and honorable. Verse seven. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live holy lives. So Paul's laying out, the will of God is our sanctification. If you're confused about what God's will is for your life, one of the things I can assure you is God's will 
is that you be sanctified. Now, what is sanctification, Chuck? It's the process of becoming more and more holy, or we could say it's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. It's living our lives in accordance to the commands of God. So in the next 40 verses, or 50 verses, he lays out what they're to do, what they're not to do, uh, around sexual immorality, about loving each other, about grieving and the return of Christ. And then we get the, bu- the bullet uh, commands uh, of pray continually, rejoice always, uh, give thanks in all circumstances, uh, you know, judge, uh, judge all things, uh, but, but don't, uh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then verse 23, so a lot of emphasis is put on what we're to do. Commands that we're to follow. Emphasis is put on us that we're to grow in sanctification. And then verse 23, it almost seems like a big shift. It goes from what we're to do, and then it says, but may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. So now it seems like it's God who's doing the sanctification, not the emphasis on us. Or could it be that uh, the weight of the previous 50 verses on what we're to do, we needed the encouragement that at the end of the day, it's God working in us and that he's faithful to perform that act in us and through us. So let's look at verse 23. Verse 23 is a prayer. It can also be a blessing. Uh, when I see the word may God, I often terms, uh, times think of a blessing. We, we, at the end of the service, may God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That's from number six, I believe, at the end. So there's these May God, it's kind of a blessing, but at the same time, a prayer. A side note, if you want to, you know, you want to learn to pray, key in on the prayers of the Bible. This is a prayer that you could pray over your own life, the life of your family, the life of this church, that God would sanctify us through and through. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's another blessing prayer. Or look for the passages where Paul says, or any of the writers say, I pray that. If Paul's saying he prays something for the church, that's something I can pray for myself, my family, and for this church. I'll give you an example. Ephesians 3.16 says, I pray that of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. We need God's strength in us to walk in obedience to God's commands. When you pray God's word, you're praying the will of God. Not sure what to pray? 
When I learned to pray, I took the Lord's Prayer, and that was my springboard prayer for my prayer life. Our Father, take some time to think about that, what that means, and pray through that and worship God, who art in heaven, holy is your name. You know, think about what that means. And Lord, may your holiness be implanted in me. May I walk in obedience to your commands. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a time for asking God for things. So praying through the word, that can, that can, that can be a format for your entire prayer life, uh, working through just the Lord's Prayer. That's how he taught his disciples to pray. Back to verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace. Why the God of peace? You ever when you're thinking through verses, kind of meditating on them, that's, you know, chewing it a little bit, uh, think through the various words that are put there? Why the God of peace? Is it because we need peace because we have anxiety and all this other stuff? I don't think that's what's, what it's referencing here. I think that peace is more positionally speaking of the peace that we now have with God as a result of what Jesus did for us. Because at one time, before we made a confession of faith, that we declared Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our lives, that we, that we said yes to God for what Jesus did on the cross when he died and paid the penalty for our sins, when he rose again, when we said yes to God, we were at one point prior to that alienated from God. We were enemies of God. That's what the Bible says. Colossians 1.21, you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? We often think the terms, you know, when we, when we look at, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who should ever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world, but the world, apart from Jesus, stands as an enemy of God rightly deserving the wrath of God. Romans 5.1 talks about being justified through faith. You can't talk about sanctification until you talk about justification. An unbeliever trying to sanctify themselves is not going to work. You know, oftentimes people, I can't go to church until I fix this in my life. Have you heard that before? I, I, I can't go to church because I do this. I think this. And they, they try to clean themselves up before coming to faith. That's impossible to do. When we come to faith and we're justified, everything changes. We become a new creation. 
The old is gone, the new has come. We've been given the divine nature. The power of sin is broken in our lives. We were slaves to sin. But now we can offer the parts of our bodies up as instruments of righteousness. Before the cross, yes, people can improve, they can change their lives, but at the end of the day, there's nothing that they can do that pleases God. Because by nature, they are slaves to sin. But when we come to the cross and are justified, what does justified mean? Justification happens in an instant. It's that moment that we say, forgive me, Lord, I have sinned. I receive what Jesus, your son, has done for me on the cross. At that very moment, God imparts his righteousness into us. To be justified is a legal term. It means that we were guilty, but the penalty of that guilt was placed upon Jesus that we are now, we get the, you're free, you're pardoned. We become as if, to be justified is just as if we never have. We're now placed in new relationship with the Father. And once that justification happens, the next thing that takes place is the process of sanctification. In one sense, we are already saints of God, holy ones. In another sense, we are growing in holiness. We are growing in sanctification. And one day, when we meet the Lord, we will be completely sanctified, blameless. You can't grow in your justification. You are or you aren't. But you can grow in your sanctification. And here we see in verse 23, may the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, every part, the secret parts of your life, the things that you don't want people to know. God wants to work into every crevice of your being, he wants to sanctify your thoughts, your desires. You notice it says spirit, soul, and body. It's an inside-out process. Our whole being. I will say this. There's some that really get into this spirit, soul, and body and break it all out. Uh, this is the only verse in the, in the New Testament that talks about uh, a three-part of man, generally speaking, we're, we're soul and body. I don't, I don't think it, it needs to be divided out as strongly as some teachers do. The fact is, God wants all of us.
So here we see the work of sanctification. At the end of the day, it's God who does it in us. But previously, the emphasis in the previous 50 verses was what about we're doing. And, and there's that kind of push and pull of the Bible where it emphasizes what we're to do. And then at the end of the day, it says what God's doing. You know, I think of verses in the New Testament that place the emphasis on us, the make every effort. Uh, we're not just to sit around, oh, if, if God doesn't want me to do that, he'll change my desires. Well, yes, God can work on your desires, but you're also to take captive every thought. We've got a part to play in this. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And let me just say this about holiness, because uh, depending on what you've been brought up in, I, I know there, you know, if some churches, uh, holiness was very much defined out, uh, and, you know, length of skirt, uh, playing cards, uh, you name it. Be careful how you define holiness. Here's what I'd say. If the Bible explicitly says something is sin, it's sin. If the Bible doesn't explicitly say it, your conscience will move you in the right direction. The leading of the Spirit will move you in the right direction. There's times where you need to put some things that can be okay aside because of people that you're around. Romans 14 talks about that. Uh, but it's not necessarily sin. But anything that you can't do in faith is sin. That's what the Word says. This working out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's stuff that we need to do. We need to lean into it. But here it talks about it's God who does it. So how, how is it God that does it and we have this responsibility? At the end of the day, the things that God does in us is what produces the sanctification. When we, when we were saved, we, we received the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. When the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you, he brings his characteristics with him. He is called the Holy Spirit. It's going to have an impact in our lives. When we received grace to be saved, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That grace is not only the unmerited favor of God, it's not only God not treating us how we, should be, how we deserve to be treated, it also empowers us to live a life that pleases God. He's the one that enables us to say yes to godly living. Pastor Dwight quoted a verse in Titus 2, verse 11 and 12, says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to live godly lives in this present age as we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul could say, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, he says, 
I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than them all. Paul could say, I put forth a lot of effort, but it wasn't really, at the end of the day, it was God empowering my will to follow him. Are you following me here? So when we say yes to God, when we say yes to walking in obedience, it's God giving us that desire. You know, Philippians 2, I I quoted it, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's 2.12. Verse 13 says this, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Emphasis, one verse on us, and then it's really, it's God who's working in you to do this. The power of sin is broken in your life. You're saying, Chuck, why do I continue to fall all the time in this same area? Why do I continue to struggle? That's the process of sanctification. It doesn't all happen at once. But you don't have to sin. Let me say that again. You don't have to sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. God has given you the ability to walk in such a way as to please him. But if you do sin, we have a remedy. If any man sins, let him confess his sin to the Lord. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I really think verse 24, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it, is just there to remind the the church of Thessalonica that at the end of the day, you might be unfaithful, but God will always be faithful. There's times we slip. Our faithfulness hasn't been perfect. God never fails to be faithful. Never fails. Two Timothy two thirteen says, "If we are faithless, He remains faithful." Thank God that it doesn't say, "May this be done to you according to your faithfulness." I hear an amen, or maybe an oh my. <laughs> I, th- I think, think sometimes the amen and the oh my are about the same thing. Verse twenty five, brothers, pray for us. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, asking for prayer. This is the guy that we would think has it all together. He wrote half the New Testament. He suffered and endured, and he's asking for prayer. Paul, Paul, almost in every one of his epistles, asked for prayer. You know, sometimes we put church leaders on a pedestal uh, and we just assume, oh, they, they, don't, they don't face the same temptations that I face. They don't struggle. They don't have these thoughts. You know, they, they don't suffer depression. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. 
know, we're, we're shocked uh, at when we see moral failure in, in church leadership. I would just ask this. I, I wonder if people were praying for them. Verse 26, greet all the people with a holy kiss. Let me just say, I, I, I think that's cultural. There are some cultures today where that is uh, well accepted. Uh, it's the way families greet each other for the most part. Uh, what Paul's saying here is treat each other like, like family, like brothers and sisters, love one another. I'll shake your hand, I'll give you a hug. I'll give my wife a kiss. Verse 27, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. You know, one advantage we have today is uh, we've got God's word, complete, paperback form, electronic form, on my tablet. I love it. They, they didn't have that advantage. They had, a, they had a read from scrolls and manuscripts. When Paul was writing this, I don't think Paul said to himself, hey, this is going to be the Bible one day. And yet Peter says of Paul's letters, they can be hard to understand, but they're Scripture. So when we're reading this, we're reading God's Word. Jesus, when he was praying for future believers, us, he prayed this, and you can pray this, sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. John 17, 17. The psalmist, uh, David, uh, when you read Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And in every verse, uh, the, the word word, precept, command, uh, anything it's in there is in every verse and the psalmist says your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you there's something powerful about the word of God as we put it in when Jesus was tempted what did he do He quoted scripture every time. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's all in Luke 4. Put God's word in your heart. You know, as I read through the Bible, uh, I, I highlight the Bible, and I, I would almost love to, you know, I don't want to judge people, but I almost want to see what they highlight you know, I, I bet you we're all really good about highlighting the promises of God. You know, the stuff that you don't highlight or underline, that's the Word of God too. It's all there for our growth and edification. When you read God's Word, ask God, show me, Lord. Teach me. Convict me. Reveal yourself to me. How can I apply this today? Then he ends in verse 28 with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He starts with grace and peace in chapter 1, verse 2. 
and he ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As I mentioned earlier, it's the grace of God that empowers us. You know, if you're struggling in areas of your life, you know, the Bible talks about the sin that so easily entangles. It's God's grace that will give you strength to get through. So we're going to end today. You know, normally I like to give a lot of stories. Uh, Stories keep people interested. People love to hear stories. I love to hear stories. Give me a good storyteller. I know I threw a lot of scripture and kind of a, a weightier stuff out there. Uh, how does God want you to apply that today? You know, if you've just been kind of cruising through life and there's these things in your life that you keep slipping up on, but you've just accepted it, this is who I am. God will forgive me, yes, he will. I I, I would say make every effort. Don't go back in the mud when you've been cleaned up. If you do, get out. You know, if, if there's areas of your life today that are keeping you from God that are blocking your heart. I'm not talking to just the occasional mess up. I said the wrong word. I was angry and I, and I expressed it. In your anger, do not sin. We're going to get angry. It's the sin part when we get angry. I get angry. My wife's smiling. Sometimes I sin when I get angry. <laughs> But I'm talking about the things that are keeping you. Someone else, I could see someone else struggling in that area. (laughs) I'm talking about the things that are keeping you out of God's presence, that are keeping you from from pressing forward. I'm going to call up the prayer team. I believe sometimes it's the power of prayer that can break a stronghold, a bondage in your life. Sometimes that confession, confess your sins one to another. Now be careful on this. Don't get up here and just start confessing to everyone. There's a right place for that. But sometimes the confessing has a power to break the stronghold in your life. Maybe there's also some people in here that when I talked about God of peace, that you can honestly say that you've not made that confession of faith, that you've not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. You've not said yes to Jesus. There's grace to be found right here. This can be the day that starts everything anew. So prayer team, come forward. Everyone stand. We're going we're gonna to end with a song. But if that's you, if you need prayer, if you need, you know, just you want, you want to cry out to God, ask for his strength, his grace. 
that you want to draw in closer to the Lord, come up and get prayer. If you're ready to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you've never done that, come up today. Actually, I'm going to go down. If that's you, I'd like to pray for you. Not that it matters, but I love that. It's exciting. I get a lot of joy out of that. So uh, blessings. Thank you, folks.